Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down box or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. And I also want to make a special welcome to some of our perhaps new listeners on Living Bread Radio in the Cleveland, Akron, Canton area on AM 1060. That, of course, is the center of my particular eparchy, which is a diocese we call in the Eastern churches, we call our diocese eparchies because they cover large territories. But the center of my eparchy, which is called the Eparchy of Parma, is centered in the Cleveland area, and actually, and specifically, Parma. Parma is, a, of course, a suburb of Cleveland. And so we're called the Eparchy of Parma. Even though I'm out of Chicago, I, at the same time, am part of the Eparchy of Parma, which covers 12 states. So although I'm in Chicago, my bishop in the center of my eparchy is in the Cleveland area, which encompasses the greater Cleveland area, Akron, Canton, and so on. Welcome all of those who may be listening and tuning in to Light of the East. We're new here at Living Bread on 1060 AM, and we welcome all of you. We're very happy Living Bread has us on the air. Speaking of the Eparchy of Parma, there's a number of things going on in our Eparchy that will be of interest to you. One of them is coming up. It's in a few months, but it's never too early to start advertising. It's the Eastern Catholic Men's Conference called Jesus and You, a Man-to-Man Encounter. And this is Saturday, November 13, Saturday, November 13, 2010, at our Cathedral Center in Parma, Ohio. If you want information, you can go to our website, the Eparchia website, parma.org. That's parma.org. And this Eastern Men's Conference features presenters such as Danny Abramowitz, a former NFL player who you may have seen on EWTN, Peter Herbick, Father Michael Laughlin, and Paco Garvelidis. So once again, it's the Eastern Catholic Men's Conference, Jesus and You, a Man-to-Man Encounter, Saturday, November 13th, 2010. Go to parma.org. Also, I'll be in the area in September at the Shrine of Our Lady of Madia Poach. That's September 25th. I'm going to be leading a marriage retreat for that day for married couples, and I'll be joined, of course, by my Tabor Life Institute. And again, that's September 25th. That's at our shrine out in Burton, Ohio, which is uh, east of Cleveland. It's kind of between Cleveland and Youngstown area and a beautiful rural area, a lot of Amish country out there. If you want information about the marriage retreat, you can go to TaborLife.org. That's TaborLife.org. 
www.lighthouse.org. There's a number of things coming up also in our eparchy, and we'll keep you posted right here in Light of the East. But for a lot of these things, just go to parma.org or to taborlife.org. In the Eastern churches, we are actually in another one of our penitential seasons. I know that's kind of hard to imagine. It's kind of tough, I have to admit, the season of barbecuing and kind of hanging loose and enjoying things. But we are actually in a penitential season. The season is a preparation for the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, which happens on June 29th. In fact, it's a feast day shared by the whole church, East and West. It's very significant ecumenically because this is one of the times when the Pope and the Patriarch, Patriarch Bartholomew, the Patriarch of Constantinople, they get together or or they communicate with each other on this special occasion of this joint feast of Saints Peter and Paul. It's a feast of unity, really. And in the Eastern churches, we always prepare for a great feast by cleaning house. In fact, this fast of Saints Peter and Paul, this penitential season, is one of the four major penitential seasons in the calendar of many Eastern Catholic churches. Now, this particular penitential season actually begins on June 1st, and what it involves is, first of all, as always, as all penitential seasons do in the Eastern churches, it involves going to the sacrament of confession, you're really cleaning house. It involves increased works of charity and other spiritual activities like spiritual reading, maybe greater quiet, more prayer in your life, but also fasting. I know it's tough during the barbecue season, but we need you to abstain from those ribs and steaks on the grill on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Now, you can do it the other days of the week, but Monday, Wednesday, and Friday is when you abstain from meat, and if you want to go that far, dairy products as well. Now, that's a tough one during the summertime, but that is our way of preparing for the great feast of Saints Peter and Paul. Now, before this, though, before the feast of Saints Peter and Paul, we have another feast coming up, the feast of the Nativity, the birth of Saint John the Baptist. Now, during this time of year, and I like the phrase that the Western lung of the church uses, our Roman Catholic brethren, they call this the ordinary time in the liturgical calendar, ordinary time. That kind of describes it. It's kind of like a simple, simple word, but it kind of gets to the point. We call this time of year the Sundays after Pentecost. Ordinary time, though, is kind of a neat word. But at the same time, there's no reason why I like it, because I can do a little play on it. At the same time, in the ordinary time of the Eastern calendar, we have also extraordinary moments that sort of perforate or sort of pepper the ordinary time. So we're not always so ordinary. (laughs) But again, in the Eastern Church, we call the ordinary time the Sundays after Pentecost. As we move through the ordinary time, we do have these certain moments, these certain sort of peppering of great moments, like the Feast of St. Peter and Paul. But also another one is this Feast of the Nativity of St. John the Baptist, and that occurs on June 24th. Many times, many of you ask me about uh, certain references or books or places to go to learn about the Eastern churches. Well, I'll tell you, there's a number of resources. One is easternchristianmedia.com, easternchristianmedia.com. And there's also some really neat books. Some of them have been around for a while, but I still find them very, very handy. I'll tell you, one of the most handy books that I find is called The Liturgical Year of the Byzantine Slavonic Rite by Basil Shedegi. Basil Shedegi was a priest in the Byzantine Catholic Church. I knew him personally. My family knew him. He has uh, since passed on, but he was a great scholar for our church. And he helped to make that transition of our church when it came from Europe to America, and he did a lot to enlighten us about our church. He wrote this really handy book. Now, you can get this book from the Byzantine Seminary Press. Again, it's called The Liturgical Year of the Byzantine Slavonic Rite by Basil Shedegi. And this is what he writes about the Feast of St. John the Baptist. The commemoration of St. John's Nativity is one of the older 
if not the oldest feast in honor of any saint found in either the Byzantine or Roman liturgies. Ordinarily, the church observes the day of a saint's death because that day marks his entrance into heaven. St. John is an exception to this rule because he was filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, which means he was born without original sin. His nativity, therefore, is already a day of triumph. Now, that's, I know, kind of an interesting insight that he was born without original sin. Again, because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the perspective the Eastern churches have. Now, Father Shedegui continues, The feast of St. John's birth is mentioned in the sermons of St. Ambrose, St. John Chrysostom, and St. Augustine. In the 5th century, we even find churches erected in his honor. In the 7th century, St. Andrew of Crete composed beautiful hymns honoring the nativity of Christ's forerunner, and St. John Damascene in the 8th century enriched the liturgy with poetic verses and hymns in honor of St. John. If you've ever seen an icon, a Byzantine icon of St. John the Baptist, he's portrayed usually with wings. He's sometimes portrayed in a kind of a straight-on portrait style, as many saints are, but he's also portrayed within the context of what he was noted for, such as baptizing Jesus Christ. You see him in the context of an icon of the theophany or the baptism of Christ. In either case, John always is portrayed with wings, and oftentimes the title of the icon, and that's one of the characteristics of icons, is that we title them. We actually write on them who's in there and what the subject is. In the title for the icons of St. John the Baptist is often the title Forerunner, and as I mentioned, he's depicted with wings. Listen to the prayers for the feast of this nativity of St. John the Baptist, and then they'll explain to you why he's depicted with wings. This is from the evening Vesper service of the Byzantine Catholic Church for the Feast of St. John the Baptist. The prayer says this, Today the voice of the prophet Isaiah is fulfilled. In the birth of the greatest of the prophets, John, he had said, Behold, I will prepare the way of the Lord. He will be a soldier of the kingdom of heaven running before the path of our God. By nature he was a man, yet in the present life he became an angel, for he welcomed moderation in complete purity. He had a human nature, but fled what was according to nature and struggled beyond the natural. Therefore, let all the faithful imitate his virtues and beg him to pray for the salvation of our souls. Now, what we have in St. John, as we often have in saints, great saints, greatest saint of all, of course, is the mother of God, the Virgin Mary, and also in Jesus Christ himself, of course, what we have is a kind of a glimpse or an image into how human beings were created in the beginning and how they're ultimately meant to end up. In other words, our destiny. In other words, it's how we were originally and how we will be in the end of time and forever in heaven, provided we make it to heaven. And that is where we have a certain profound and comprehensive purity about us, a purity of heart where we're no longer encumbered by the tyranny of our passions. Our passions are not bad, they're just that they were fallen as a result of original sin. And people like John the Baptist had the grace to move beyond the power of this tyranny and to become like we were before the fall and how we'll be in the life to come. We're going to talk more about the ordinary time and the peppering of great moments of ordinary time when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's Reunion. 
and to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Or hear it again for the first time. Ladies, would you like to know what it is that men really want? I am Father Thomas Lawyer with a Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. In complement to a woman's body, the body of a man is designed to act upon the environment, to go up against things greater than he is. Men are designed to defend, protect, tear down, build, resist, invent, in short, to accomplish the task. Their greatest desire, therefore, is to be told that they have what it takes. They measure up and have indeed accomplished the task. Conversely, a man's greatest fear is to be told that he is not adequate, that he is a failure. A man wants to see reflected in the eyes of his woman the essential message of his manhood. Yes, I do believe in you, honey. You are my knight in shining armor. Ladies, when a man hears that message, he will do anything for you. To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. You're listening to Father Thomas Lawyer on Light of the East. You're listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... Welcome back to Light of the East. We were talking about a couple of feast days that sort of perforate the ordinary time or the Sundays after Pentecost, and as we say in the Eastern churches. And those two peppering, those two intrusions, as it were, in a good way, are the feast of the Nativity of St. John the Baptist and also the feast of Saints Peter and Paul. As I mentioned before, we are in the fasting period, a penitential period, leading up to the feast of Saints Peter and Paul. But we also have, just before that, this great feast of the Nativity of St. John the Baptist. And we mentioned before the break that St. John is pictured as an angel because of the purity of his heart, his spirit, but also because he was a messenger. If you recall in the Bible, the angels came as messengers from God, and of course the angels had wings. So John was the messenger that went before 
Christ. In other words, that's what he was predicted in, of course, in the prophecy of Isaiah. And so iconography paints him with wings. Now, he didn't really have wings that we know of, but iconography does precisely that. It paints the theological significance of a figure or an event from the Bible in a revelation or life of Christ or a saint. Because iconography is always trying to communicate to us the doctrines or dogmas of our faith and the significance of that faith as it is today, in the past, and in the eschaton, the future. So iconography and the liturgy of the Eastern churches has kind of a timelessness to it. It's always trying to kind of usher our gaze, not so much into the naturalistic, like how something really was, but rather, what does that something really mean? What is the significance of this person or their, their office, for instance, of John the Baptist as prophet and forerunner? What is the ultimate goal or destiny of this event? In other words, what is its ultimate meaning, the why behind it and where it sort of points our gaze? And this is why iconography and the liturgy of the church, the liturgical text that you just heard me read, always have this sort of theological, eschatological dimension to them. Now, those are always pointing us somewhere beyond just the immediate. And in this sense, the liturgy in the Eastern churches and its iconography, its prayer, becomes timeless. It becomes very relevant because it sort of takes what was in the past, makes it living for us today, and then points our gaze to the future. In other words, to what this all means. You know, why was there a St. John? Why were these events of Jesus Christ? Why was there a Blessed Mother? The why and the how point us to something something, something beyond the present. So there is a timeless dimension to the way the Eastern churches express their faith, express ourselves through our liturgy, our prayer, and our iconography. As I mentioned, we have, of course, the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul coming up. Big feast because it's shared by East and West together. It's a very uniting feast, an ecumenical feast. The leaders of the East and West, the Pope and the Patriarch of the East, do get together. They communicate. They share some things together on this day and also on the Feast of St. Andrew. Now, in the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, we kind of focus on these two as pillars of the church. In fact, if you ever come to Annunciation Parish, my church, you'll see painted on the wall, as you do in many Byzantine churches, you'll see an icon of Saints Peter and Paul. And what they're doing, they're standing together, kind of facing each other, and they're holding, both of them are holding together a model of the church. Now, on our icon, of course, the church was painted to look like our actual church of Annunciation that you would see if you came here and visited. So the idea is that the two of them are holding up the church, or like the two great pillars of the church, Saints Peter and Paul, those two luminaries, as our liturgical text referred to them, the luminaries of the church. We start out at the very beginning of the church and set down the tenets of what we believe, of who Jesus Christ really is. Not only who he was as he walked on earth, but Again, his significance, who he was in the sort of the cosmic dimension, you know, his eschatological, his, his triumphant dimension. And Peter and Paul then are those sort of pillars of the church, and they're depicted that way in iconography. We also focus on them individually. Now, Peter is an interesting focus for us in the Eastern Church and in terms of ecumenical dialogue and considerations, because it's that primacy of Peter and therefore the primacy of the Pope and with that related issues like papal infallibility, they become an interesting focus of discussion and of insight. Now, how does the Eastern Church look at St. Peter? Well, the Eastern Church does say, and even the Orthodox Church, which has a problem with the doctrine of papal infallibility, yet the Orthodox Churches, all the Eastern Churches, do say that Peter had a special place. Now, what exactly we do with that is where the differences lie. But Peter did have a special place. He was the spokesman of the Apostolic College. We read that in John 6, Matthew 16, 19, and Luke 12. And he was 
in a sense, specially favored by our Lord. And Christ frequently made special references to Peter, like we see in Matthew 26 or Luke 22. After his resurrection, uh, Jesus Christ charged Peter to feed his flock. That's in John 21. This meant that Peter was to rule Christ's church, to be without any limitation, its visible head. He referred also to Peter as the rock, even changed his name to Peter, which meant rock. Now, in our Orthodox brethren, take a little different interpretation of this. They, They believe that this mandate by Christ to lead the church, to be the rock, in other words, when Christ said, upon this rock I will build my church, the Orthodox church, they emphasize the fact that this was a reference to Peter's faith and not to Peter himself. In the Western lung of the church, we believe that and accept the fact that this meant that Peter was going to be the leader of the church, that it was not just a reference to his faith, although it was that, but it was more so a reference to him as this particular calling by Jesus Christ to be the visible head of the church. Father Shedegui's book comments on this. He says, The supremacy of Peter is proved by the various distinctions conferred upon him by our Lord. To him alone he promised that he should be a fisher of men, Luke 5. It was for Peter that he caused the tribute to be paid, Matthew 17. Peter was first whose feet were washed at the Last Supper, John 13. Our Lord appeared in a special way to Peter after his resurrection, Luke 24. He also foretold to Peter that he would die a martyr's death, John 21. Then after the ascension, Peter exercised the the office of chief shepherd of Christ's flock. He delivered the first sermon on Pentecost, received the first Gentiles into the church. From Jerusalem, he went to preach the gospel in Asia at Antioch. That's in Galatians 2. Then to Cappadocia, Galatia, Pontus, and finally Rome. It is a well-established historical fact that St. Peter labored in Rome, that he was the city's first bishop, and he died there as a martyr. Tradition holds that he was crucified head down, most probably in 67 AD. And by the way, many of you ask people like myself when you come to visit our church, the Byzantine Slavic churches, and this is also shared by the Russian Orthodox Church, you ask, why do we have a cross with three bars on it, three horizontal bars, the lower bar, the third bar, which would be around where the place of Christ's feet were on the cross, why that bar is there and why it is slanted. It kind of slants upwards to the right of Christ, if you're looking at it from Christ's view. One of the reasons is what I just read here from Father Shadiki's book, is that this shape that's made by a slanted bar, sort of a crooked cross, is symbolic and reminiscent of the martyrdom that was experienced by people like St. Peter, who was martyred, crucified, like Christ, but yet unlike Christ, in that it was, a, in a sense, a further humiliation. And tradition says it was at the request of the apostles, people like Peter, and there were a few others, who requested to be crucified upside down. They thought that they were unworthy even to die in exactly the same way as our Lord, that they wanted even further humiliation. Tradition says that they were crucified upside down. And that accounts for the slanted bar on the cross of many Byzantine churches, mostly of the Slavic tradition, such as the Ruthenian tradition and also the Russian Orthodox tradition. It's oftentimes called St. Andrew's Cross. It has three bars, the bottom one being slanted upward towards the right. The reason why it's slanted up towards the right, the symbolism of that, is that it was to the right of Christ that the repentant thief hung on the cross, and he, of course, went to heaven, as Christ said, because of his repentance. The bar slants upward towards the right, towards heaven. And conversely, of course, and naturally, on the other end of the bar slants downward to to hell, (laughs) to where, of course, uh, symbolic of the unrepentant thief who continued to jeer and mock Christ as uh, they hung on the cross together. I'm going to read a little more history from Father Bezil Shedegui's book. 
The Liturgical Year with the Byzantine Slavonic Rite by Basil Shetty. Get it from the Byzantine Seminary Press. He said the feasts of Saints Peter and Paul came to be observed soon after their death. The Christians were mindful of the admonition of St. Paul, Remember your superiors who spoke to the word of God. The feast has been kept in Rome on June 29th, a day in which a solemn service was held. And this is since 258 AD. These special activities, as observed in Rome, are described by Prudentius. According to him, the whole city was in motion. The faithful visited the tombs of the apostles and the two churches erected in their honor. Pontifical masses were celebrated. The fathers and writers of the 4th century attest that in the middle of that century, a church was erected in Constantinople, and the Feast of the Apostles was kept on the same day throughout the Christian East. St. Gregory the Theologian, in one of his sermons, mentions that the Apostle Saints, Peter and Paul, are venerated with great honors and feasts. In the 6th century, the feast was observed very solemnly in Constantinople during the reign of Emperor Anastasius. That's in the 4th and 5th centuries. So we have a marvelous feast with a great deal of antiquity, these great little feasts that make the ordinary time not exactly so ordinary. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>